let's uh, let's knock off this AMA. That sounds great. Would you like me to go oh, yeah. ahead and kick it off there, Elise? Yeah, let's do it. And you guys in the community, as everybody comes in, um, just raise your hand if you want to ask a live question. And we definitely encourage that. We're recording this um, and we're going to uh, use it as content uh, on social media. We want you guys to interview um, and come up with really great questions for our founders. It shows that they're uh, invaluable in our community and keep this community really growing. And it shows the heart and soul of this project that they just really stop everything that they're doing and like literally meet our needs at, with education and everything. So, you know, we want you to be present and take advantage of that, you know, while we do these things. So with that going on, like I said, raise your hand, ask a question, and uh, we will get things started. This week, we're going to go over um, two partnerships that we already announced because it just seems like in marketing and medium, we're like, boom, boom, boom. There's so much exciting news. It almost seems spammy, but there's actually nothing spammy about it. It's really like headlining news. And like we're changing technology. And uh, so we need to reiterate like some of the importance behind these partnerships, Space Isaac being one of them, and then IEE being the other one. And then we have some really fantastic news as well. And then you guys have the amazing Wyatt here who will uh, spin our brains and have us thinking for the next three weeks again. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. And I will let you have the floor. Great. Thank you so much, Elise, and everybody for joining, as well as the kindness and the gifts. Uh, very cool. Um, I'm here joined with my uh, co-founder and bash brother, Wyatt, and uh, today we're going to mainline some technology. We're going to do it. Uh, so I've got the questions, Wyatt. I'm going to kind of act as the moderator here, and I'll I'll ask you some questions, and we'll uh, go back and forth. That said, I'm going to probably take the mic for the first uh, I'd say at least 15, 20% here to talk through some of the business questions that we got listed. Though, if you at any point have any color you want to add, just interrupt and, and, and pipe in on my sections. Does that sound good? Um, Absolutely. Sweet. All right. Well, uh, the, the first question is, which value is your lodestar, uh, also known as a North Star? Can you bring humanitarian anarchist principles to Kratos and Lockheed Martin? We're coming out with a pretty heavy one right from the get-go. Um, and the reason I like this question is that it's, uh, it's got less to do with the technology and more to do with our personal ethos. Um, and I'm not going to go too deep into it because I could talk about that stuff for a while, though I will say I was just noodling with the team that I think it might be good for us to um, share a little bit more about who each of us are as founders so you can learn more about our intentions and why we're doing this project in some separate videos. Um, I personally would like to see, you know, while we are focused heavily on transformational technology, I'd like to see this humanized a little bit more so that you understand the intentions of, of why we're doing this. Um, you know, the humanitarian anarchist principles. Um, the, the reason why I like that question is that really kind of contains the paradox, which is where I do believe our company, I don't wanna speak for the other founders, but I do know we all kind of have the same mantras. And we're not here to fight the fight and take over what Lockheed Martin is doing or try to take down the man uh, coming from a group that is working with the federal space that would seem kind of like an oxymoron. That said, we do see the importance of getting close to these institutions to institute change. And with that, uh, we want to offer a technology that gives choice, that gives people the opportunity to um, freely use data as they see fit as a datapreneur. And we're going to be sharing more in 2021 what the, um, the makeup of a datapreneur really means and how that ties into our network. We can't share much about our engagements with Kratos and Lockheed Martin. Uh, in to be candid, we haven't talked to Kratos yet, uh, but we uh, do have a, a strong working relationship with Lockheed. And as you can imagine, they keep their cards very close to their, their chest. That, say, that said, we're here to offer a technology that is, um, I don't wanna say benign in nature, but in a certain way, it doesn't come with an agenda attached to it. I mean, why would you agree with that statement? Yeah, no, I mean, there's really no agenda. Um, I mean, to be totally honest, there's the only agenda really is that there's issues with, um, you know, how we send data over the internet. <laughs> 
<laughs> Love it. Yep. Um, so what is the relationship status of DAG and AWS Gov platform cloud one? So I'm going to table this one. Um, you know, I noticed that we've done presentations in the past where, you're, you know, <laughs> this wonderful forensic group of our community has noticed the logo of the AWS Gov cloud partnership. Um, that said, there's a lot to unpack with uh, AWS and Wyatt and I are working in lockstep right now to position this announcement with the AWS team. I will say that uh, this week we had a very promising and solid call with the head of distributed ledger technology for AWS. Um, and to put that in perspective, it took me 15 months to get to that call. Uh, so, and that's not about just getting on the phone and talking to them face to face and saying, hey, here's who I am, here's who you are, but having the right trust measures in place so that those that can that align the call um, fast-tracked us to a level of validation so that we're now in a place of actually doing some really great stuff. That said, the reason why we haven't really know, announced this... Um, uh, the reason why we haven't announced this partnership right, yet is yep, because no um, we want to show some breadth and validation from yeah, their side yeah, and actually have the tactical underpinnings to show where the product is going to fit within their ecosystem. So all the places are there, and I apologize that I'm not going to add context around those just yet. So next question, and I'm going to give this one to you, Wyatt. Will Quant take part in the interoperability of the Lattice Exchange? I mean, there's no reason why not. Uh, we haven't spoken to them as of yet, but um, I mean, to be totally honest, maybe I'll just throw that in there when we are building the uh, HGTP side of it. Um, great idea. Yeah, it is a great idea. And we have talked to them in the sense of having a partnership on the Constellation side, but they haven't been brought into the fold on the Lattice side just yet. So, um, so there's that. Uh, can the team speak more on the technology and what is required to adapt to be built out for different use cases to enable those seeking outsourcing options to adopt it and resurrect their own state channel product built out on DAG and how those both par parties can profit and grow together? Um, that's kind of a, a, a little bit of a convoluted question, so no offense to whoever asked that one. I'm, I'm trying to understand a little bit better, but um, what is required to, to adapt and be built out in different use cases? And I know I've, I've hammered this home a ton, and this is a lot of what Wyatt has done an awesome job on, which is our ability to deploy within existing um, data management uh, ecosystems. And that's really what's going to help us win when it comes to scaling our solution. So I'm not going to go too deep in that because you guys, fo you folks already understand that. And um, I've started to touch a little bit on how party parties can profit and grow together because uh, I will just say that one of the, the main hits on that is with Constellation being in place, we're, we're enabling data to hit compliance uh, levels that they currently can't hit that allows them to channel into new books of business, whether that's migrating to cloud, uh, whether it's passing data into systems that right now can't be passed because it doesn't hit the compliance measures, that's a big uh, area in which we're going to help grow and uh, benefit with some of those groups. Do you see where this could lead the world to almost viewing industries as new asset class of a commodities market? I think this is a great one for you, uh, Wyatt. I'll repeat the question. Do you all see this could lead the world to almost viewing industries as a new asset class of commodities market? Oh, wow. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, 100% yes. I mean, that is like exactly, yeah. I mean, um, hmm, yes. Um, how would I put this? Industries is a new asset class of commodities. Um, I think that there is a fundamental shift in, you know, both finance and, you know, just sort of how we govern ourselves and, and sort of, uh, you know, provide infrastructure for just everyday life um, by, you know, understanding the financial component or sort of dimension of data and especially individuals data. And in the same way that commodification of certain industries and in like the commodities market, like beans or rice or whatnot, um, you know, became a fundamental facet of, you know, just the modern economy. Um, I don't really need to get into that. I think that, you know, the data marketplace and the data economy is going to become uh, like a whole new uh, part of that existing space. But also, it, you know, it has the potential to underwrite uh, that entire, you know, kind of space as well. So the commodification um, of actual user products, uh, you know, as opposed to just industries um, or specific commodities that are represented by an amalgamation of 
you know, industrial output. So um, that's really what I'm seeing. And I kind of see this technology as an opportunity to use the base layer to actually provide, um, uh, I guess you could say, um, what's it called uh, in finance when you basically like meet trades inside of an order book or whatnot. Um, but basically like to actually just add a second layer to the entire financial uh, infrastructure that currently exists. Um, because you can do this in a much more innovative way uh, than how, you know, traditional stock markets are built. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to go into that in more detail. Uh, I'm actually writing a huge paper on it right now. Um, and I'm really excited to share it with you guys, uh, probably in a couple of weeks. Heck yeah. I've had early visibility on this paper and it's a real crowd pleaser. So I'm excited to see it get out there, buddy. Um, Sweet. All right. So there's quite a few questions here around space ISAC. And so I'll do my best to answer those. Um, you know, one of the first ones is what's the relationship with the founding members such as SES, Kratos, uh, uh, KSAT and so forth? Do we have business relationships with them in the broader space ecosystem? Uh, I will say we're early in the space ecosystem. We've, we've only been in this space now for the last three or four months. And that took a lot of strategic decisioning on where we wanted to put our efforts into consortiums in, in the next year. Um, and space, I can't say it enough, is like this open uh, playing field right now. And, and that's very, um, that has a lot of positives when you think of a, a kind of a capitalistic market share mindset. Great. If we get early, we're very sticky in some of the workflow of these systems and how they're um, changing infrastructure as we know it. But the, the bad side is, is those barrier to entries that are rather low right now um, uh, offer a lot of opportunity for corruption, security breaches um, and shenanigans, you know, uh, so hacking, if you will. And that's why well, a lot of people may sit there and make fun of Donald Trump for standing up the Space Force um, agency. I think it's the first um, agency in the DOD to be stood up since like the 60s or something like that. Um, and everybody's like, oh, space is silly. But I don't think folks realize how many satellites are in space right now and the level of uh, orchestration they have over us. And so when you think about these other partners, you know, they all represent a different piece in the ecosystem. So we're not looking to try to be a competitor to any of them. In fact, we're the only uh, base protocol that's part of Space ISAC, the only blockchain company that has their own network that's part of Space ISAC. So we're looking to add a capability to their workflow. Like SES, they're like a contracting group that goes out ex-military and helps deploy new solutions. So they see us as a capability to help either hit compliance levels or allow for notarization of data. Finding out where that data was uh, originated is extremely important to each of these groups. So the nice thing, excuse me, about these consortiums is that it's like a one to many. Once we get in, we now have this directory where I can ask the consortium lead, hey, can you line up a call with Kratos? And they'll say, yeah, we can do that next week. And next thing, you know, we're on the phone because we have a joint uh, energy around Space ISAC. One of the questions is which role uh, does Space ISAC play in JADC2? So JADC2, for those that haven't been following, is Joint All-Domain Command and Control and really is the precipice focus for the DOD. So they may have initiatives around drones, around AI, around machine learning, all sorts of emerging technologies. But JADC2 is really the umbrella in which it all matters. And that really is predicated on bringing that information together in a hub and then pushing it back out. And as we all know, or at least should know at this point, sending that data to a central server and back is just not working anymore. So they're heavily exploring edge computing capabilities in which, um, in which we fall into. And there's no better a, a a, a demonstration of edge computing than satellites. I mean, those things are in space. <laughs> They're pretty far when it comes to the edge. I don't think we go any further from edge technology than satellites. Um, so what role space plays in JADC2 is that's a data point, one of the major ones that will allow for orchestration to take place at the edge of really bringing forth the opportunity of interoperability amongst these different uh, command and controls and domains. Um, which branch in the space economy has the most demand for Constellations tech? Security, that's the answer to that one. I mean, making sure that uh, the data is what it says it is from the notarization standpoint and that it can't be opened or tampered with from anyone that it's not supposed to, that's not supposed to touch it. So those are my quick uh, answers on that. Um, and we're gonna move over to a question for Wyatt. Uh, Ken. 
Let's see here. Sorry, I have to read these. You mentioned the need to educate on the difference between blockchain and DAG technology. Should the Stardust community and community support the team in that effort with content or no need since the marketing department is tackling that? Okay, that's more question for me. Um, no, we need as much help as possible. And it's, um, you know, really the difference between a blockchain and a DAG should be rather simple at this point to folks. Uh, and if not, maybe mark this down and why you can back me up on this. I'm trying to do it as simply as possible. Blockchain is linear. Every time a new transaction is created, it's a new block is added to the linear chain with a directed acyclic graph. It as more, it's, um, uh, it's like a graph as in a net and as more data comes on, the faster it becomes. And there's like a really great um, visual that we can send around of people trying to get on a bus and having to wait their turn to get in versus a bus having multiple doors. But why, while I'm meandering on this question, maybe you can just quickly do a, a, a quick recap on the difference between traditional blockchain and DAG. Yeah. I mean, um, I, thanks for that. Diggle. That was, that was great. Um, you know, I, I could say it in, in, in a few words, uh, DAG technology uh, is essentially just blockchain technology with a factor of parallelism. So like you can basically have multiple blockchains running at the same time, um, all providing uh, useful work for each other. And the end result is a graph, uh, which is, you know, represents uh, the concurrent action as opposed to a linear structure, uh, which represents the synchronous action of traditional blockchain protocols. Awesome. Love it, buddy. Perfect. So, all right. While we got you, how difficult is it to create cross-chain bridge between DAG, ETH, and, and possibly other blockchains? How difficult is it? You know, it's actually a great question. Um, so, like, it's, it's, it's great because I'm working on, you know, um, well, not necessarily, like, you know, building or, like, what? Oh, sorry. I think someone's microphone is on. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, uh, I've actually been focusing on this, uh, in like the day to day. I just had a huge planning meeting about this a couple hours ago, but, um, yeah. So what does actually, what does actually go into or what, sorry, what actually goes into creating a state channel, um, from like a development perspective, actually creating your own state channel is as simple as creating your own HTTP server. Um, the, the interface that we're creating is very similar to, uh, you know, how you would use something called a future to represent API calls. And, you know, basically from that very similar interface, you'll be able to create, uh, you know, just components and well, one like secure endpoints and two also components and like some type of like a data pipeline or microservice that, um, you know, you can run consensus on or, you know, self-orchestrate automatically through, uh, you know, consensus. And so, that, from like a developer standpoint, is fairly straightforward, I would say. Um, but the real nuance uh, comes into figuring out how do you actually want to create, uh, you know, a, or sorry, how do you actually want to create uh, and support your token? And by that, I mean, like, in order to actually create and solve the cross-chain liquidity problem, uh, and that's that's one of the main, like, sorry, this, like, weird background thing is cutting me out. Um <laughs> Sorry, uh, in order to solve the cross-chain liquidity program, um, sorry, uh, problem, there needs to be some type of shared unit of value that can be represented across all different ledgers. And so in order to actually solve that problem, one potential solution is to use uh, entropy. And without getting into any of the specifics, there is a way that we can represent utility as like useful work being done by a network and have that backed by the actual like value of a token. And so uh, that was sort of a long way of saying creating a state channel isn't just creating like the HTTP server. You have to create something called an ACI, which is like Ethereum's ABI. And so this is essentially um, just like a JSON object that contains configuration for how the token mechanics uh, of your state channel is going to work. And so I'll just add that there's a nuance uh, such that um, which I'm really proud of and I think is cool, which is that there's a potential to actually launch a state channel um, with some type of a, you know, relatively stabilized value of your state channel token that's backed by a notion of debt that can be repaid by just hosting DAG notes. 
Um, and so there's, uh, you know, just an extra component to how, you know, people can actually get involved in, you know, like the mining uh, community and also how they can get their products to market um, as opposed to focusing on the fundraising factor, but more the proof of concept uh, factor as well. Uh, and all that stuff's going to be released actually in this paper I'm working on. Um, this, this, these components have, have well been, you know, finalized. I'm just actually like getting the, the nuts and bolts ready because I want to get this thing published, uh, kind of like the last blockchain cohomology paper, uh, which is what the interface I was talking about, which HTTP comes, uh, comes from. So, um, yeah, and also one other thing you can look forward to as well uh, in understanding how this works is that I'm, I'm working on uh, like an interactive web page that will help show how token mechanics um, change based upon, uh, you know, tweaks and, and, you know, whatever inside of your configuration. So, you know, how much money goes into a liquidity pool and like some type of a fundraise or something in a traditional sense versus, um, you know, how much, uh, you know, consensus processes you're hosting in your state channel to sort of pay for, um, you know, this, uh, this sort of bridge to exist. So it's the equilibrium that comes and sort of forms a two-sided marketplace to help um, incentivize, you know, investors to find great projects to invest in and node operators to do a great job uh, hosting the network. Awesome. Thanks, buddy. Um, so another one for you. What is your strategy to onboard developers to get familiar and to start building on Hypergraph? Will there be any requirements to build on Hypergraph like Polkadot, <laughs> where the board decides which project projects to launch on the network? Um, no, not at all. I mean, fuck no. Fuck no. I didn't even know they were doing that. Fuck that. I didn't either. Yeah, Fuck I agree. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, we are so not doing that. We're finding ways for you to launch tokens without even fundraising just by providing resources. Like, don't, don't you even worry. Hell no. Um, so, uh, sorry, really quickly, what was the question? I'm reading it again right now. Um, so what's the plan to actually get folks to, you know, try and adopt this stuff? So, yeah, yeah totally. Um, I was actually talking about this in a meeting before. Um, so, you know, the first couple of years of Constellation was really actually focused on just proving out, you know, this technology and building a proof of concept. Um, we have mainnet. We know that this stuff works. And, you know, that was, that was an amazing accomplishment and achievement. And now the real focus is on how can we take this and actually, you know, integrate this technology in a seamless way um, with all the other tools and, and technologies that we use uh, when we're building, you know, some type of a back end or some, some type of a blockchain product. Um, and so, you know, I, I just to add a little context, um, I think one thing that really made everything in like 2018 or like the whole Ethereum kind of fundraising movement and just the whole ecosystem was the potential to or rather just the interest, the organic interest of individuals to actually just want to use this tech to build cool shit. Um, and, you know, I think sort of a complication arose in getting this technology approved for kind of like the enterprise level or like the boss level when you're working at a company. Um, and so, you know, when you're, we're working on sort of deep technologies that, you know, are often open source just due to, you know, the ac their academic nature, um, you know, like a, like a spark or some big data technologies would actually made, you know, this entire industry of what we call big data where people who actually found it really interesting to massively parallelize operations using this new, you know, method of programming. Um, and so it was actually kind of like this grassroots movement of individuals finding new ways of solving, you know, seemingly difficult problems in a, in, you know, a, just a new, interesting, fun way. And so, you know, our, our goal is to actually try to recreate that. Um, and so we're launching a pretty uh, hardcore, you know, dev evangelism movement uh, next year. Uh, I've actually been sort of getting everybody ready for that in the last couple of months, uh, just showing some examples of different projects. Uh, I'm working with Frank Fox, um, who is phenomenal, uh, you know, sort of putting that together who, and also has a lot of uh, experience, you know, with, with community team building on the Ethereum side. So uh, next year we have a big uh, dev evangelism push. <clears throat> And the goal is to try and make it very simple to just launch simple, uh, you know, pro products or just, you know, like a little proof of concept of something you find interesting. Um, we want it to be as simple as launching a smart context or just deploying uh, an Ethereum smart contract. Um, and what you're actually getting is your own, you know, custom base layer technology with cross-chain liquidity capabilities. Love it. Yeah, I'm going to add on to that just real quick that like, you know, Constellation is an infrastructure company and we're not in the business of deploying projects internally. Um, 
to, to Wyatt's point, our goal here is to offer anybody can build, you know, whatever they'd like, of course, that's appropriate on top of hypergraph. Um, that said, right now, we have a lot of inbound projects coming to us saying, hey, we want this validated and whatnot. And we're using those as early ways to build out the appropriate playbook so that anybody can just grab and go. That said, I'm sure we'll probably structure some way to get to the core team to work on a project through some sort of a, a finance thing. Hey, you want to pay us for us to focus on this? Great. Otherwise, take the kind of self-serve stuff and go for it um, and, and, and go forth in profit. So that's the goal. Um, and, you know, again, a big shout yeah. out to Wyatt. That's a big difference between our project is that it's going to making it as easy as possible and baking in as much of the function into the protocol so that you can just utilize the capabilities without spending your time working on building it out. Is that pretty yeah. accurate there, Wyatt? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it's, you know, the real success of projects like ours and, you know, to point to other ones like Spark or Ethereum um, is just having that, that network effect of, you know, having so much power um, in a tool that makes something that was seemingly really difficult, you know, much, much easier now. Um, it just opens up a world of possibilities and just enabling new creative projects um, is, is kind of like the core to how all of us will, you know, grow our various parts of enterprise or whatever we're doing, um, you know, our different projects, but yeah, I mean, I'm going to be launching, we're launching a bunch of projects too. So um, yeah, we're just, we, we're just going to keep adding to the whole ecosystem and um, yeah, watch it grow. Yeah. I've, I've personally got two moonlighting projects. I'm, I'm working on that align with hypergraph that, you know, they are going to utilize the technology because why not? We got this, this dope protocol we're working with. Um, so Heck yeah. All right. So uh, moving to the next question. Um, you know, this one, this one is for me, any chance of Benjamin talking a little bit more about real time proof of compliance, something he mentioned in a short bit a few weeks ago in uh, it's in the tax audit space, or is it possible to ask this question on this? Okay, great. Um, great. So, um, you know, one thing I want to explain about real-time proof of compliance, and we've been using this term auditability, and the tax compliance space is probably the most ripe for something like this, maybe besides telco, where there's tons of transactions taking place that all need to be rectified, and there needs to be some form of fidelity about the truth of those transactions. And the amount of fraud that goes on in this world around taxes is, is, is insurmountable. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm not so much motivated about trying to be the man and saying, hey, you need to pay your taxes. We got a tool that will insure it. But rather, I'm one of those guys that wants to know where his taxes are going, down to the penny. I want to know what I'm paying for and why. And right now, there is technologies like Constellation that will allow for this to take place. But we have to create that connective tissue of the disciplines and get into those systems to start to surface the possibility around what what can be done with this stuff. So uh, we've been using the term auditing, which I really want to like, I hate that term and I'm going to explain why. Auditability is the way to be able to find out what's going on from the beginning. Like, hey, we want to know that it's kind of like when a murder happens somewhere and it's three weeks later, they're trying to figure it out. They want to audit as much information from what happened in the moment of during that murder to figure out what's going on. That's the auditability of something. But that doesn't necessarily... Um, makes sense because audit, auditing is a lagging indicator represented by static data. So let that sink in. So you got, you're basically pulling something out and bridging it to try to figure out if something made sense off of a sample. And that's a, that's kind of a piss poor way to go about understanding full situational awareness of what's going on with your data pipeline. We're moving into more alerting. We're just using this auditing uh, terminology and nomenclature to help bridge that gap and wrap people's mind around the old paradigm and the new possibility. We're now, instead of us auditing a sample to see, hey, this data, let's take a piece out. Does it look funky? Okay, something's wrong. We have to look at all of it now. Instead, it's actually combing all the data as it comes through. And we're only doing alerting now, which is a leading indicator represented by real-time dynamic data, right? So, that way, we're not having to find out if they're doing the right thing. It's we're only seeing those anomalies. So uh, we're really trying to surface those anomalies. And auditing um, is the search for honest representation, where alerting really only surfaces corruption. Hopefully, does that makes sense. So my point being is when we say real-time proof of compliance, there's a few 
blockchain kind of essences in there. Real time being the ability to take big data pipelines and cryptographically notarize and understand that data as it comes online, which really is hard right now because processing data in bulk is inefficient, inefficient, costly, it's not secure. And so a lot of folks don't do it. That's why they just store it, they archive it, and then they audit it to see if something funky happened. It's a crap model. But so you have real time, you have proof, proof meaning that we are able to notarize it as it comes through, um, and then compliance. What are the measures they have to hit from a regulation standpoint that we make sure that are insured from the source? And being able to do that from a streaming perspective changes the game in so many different worlds when it comes to those compliance measures. So this is not specific to tax. I'm going to give more uh, explanations on what this means in 2021, because we have a few different use cases we're chasing right now that really bring out some of those elements from a real-time perspective. So hopefully I answered that one there. Um, this one's for Wyatt, uh, this gentleman. Oh, or Benjamin? I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. One of our copywriters, John Ryan, would like to ask a question and kind of expand on that, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm going to give you the floor, John. Hey, Benjamin, how are things? Um, I was just wondering, I just want to ask that question there, just about real-time use of compliance. Uh, I was just wondering one thing. I know you can't talk about everything, obviously, with NDAs, and you've got to talk about other stuff. I was... Uh, I know a little bit on it, and one of the things, and I've spoken to a few people, they mentioned with real-time uh, proof of compliance in the tax auditing sector, it applies a lot to when people are looking for refunds. Can you elaborate on whether the data will be used specifically for that? And also, just if it is used for that, would that have implications on potentially people who own crypto paying tax, uh, making it easier for them to pay tax on their crypto earnings? And if possible, is that something the hypergraph is looking into in terms of because it can be awkward sometimes doing that. Is that something that you're looking at or is that just a, a potential segue? Um, I appreciate you've NDAs, so you can't do any more than that. Uh, just when I said tax auditing, it was just something you had mentioned on a video which immediately caught my mind and I just did a bit of research on it. And I was just wondering if you could elaborate anything on it, even though- Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Sorry about Thanks, you. Thanks very much. No, Big fan, don't apologize. Don't apologize, John. Appreciate bringing some heat, buddy. And thanks for the question. And the good news is there's no nothing I can't talk about here since this is all more on the practice side of things. But when we submit taxes as an individual to the government, and there's a lot of layers here when you're talking about the taxation, because you have global, you have national, you have state, you have local. I mean, there's a lot of layers. You're on a plane that lands in Spain, but your origin is the United States. There's taxes that are involved based off of who's going where against the country. So it gets complicated. But to make it very practical, when I submit my taxes at the end of the year or the beginning of the year, um, you know, they then look at it and I'm open to be audited within a seven-year window. And that's why I'm sure your tax people have said, keep your receipts for a seven-year window. And that's because they're only looking at a roll-up and they're looking at anything that might seem over an aggregation that may seem fishy or funky. And so then they say, hey, Benjamin Diggles, you're getting audited. So then they request all of that, that, that detailed information. They comb through it. And all of that is extremely cumbersome and, and, and you know, uh, resource intensive. Imagine, though, if all of that data and the taxes down to the, the smallest piece was all being um, viewed in real time. So that way, all of our taxes are being um, uh, compliant at any given point. So that's the big difference. You got to think about the archiving versus the detail. Mm. And that's when we talk about smart contracts versus state channels, smart contracts can cryptographically secure a ledger balance. But uh, the a level of depth that a state channel brings is you can cryptographically secure and notarize the contents within that ledger balance. So that means the details of the receipt. So this is less about um, enabling a consumer around a refund or bettering their experience and more holding accountability to these uh, corporations that may be doing nefarious activities and keeping it, moving it into shell corporations, doing all this stuff to screw you know, having I, to. Do you mind if I ask something very quickly? If, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you are saying that and it's more for obviously big companies, does that mean that it's not, it's more, uh, I suppose, you, you hear the term so much, but is it more federal like IRS and people like that who will be using that to investigate potential tax fraud and things like that? Or is this something the likes of, PwC and Deloitte and stuff would be using for their clients and things like that. 
Can you shed any light on that or do NDAs prevent you from talking about that sort of stuff? No, I mean, so I'll tell you right now, there's a company that we've been talking with. Um, they're the one of the world's largest pharmaceutical companies and CPG companies. So I'm not going to say their name, but you can pretty much figure it out. Um, let's just say they make Q-tips and stuff like that. But uh they have so many taxes and regulations they have to abide by, and it, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Mm -hmm. Anything that can speed up efficiencies is going to save them millions of dollars daily, like daily. And so those are the targets. And then the groups that manage those groups are like the PWCs of the world that have to work with them on the practices in which they do that workflow and connecting the appropriate systems to get the most out of it. But us coming in, we can cut some of those efficiencies up to 80 to 90%. Um, so that's why they're attractive. Hopefully that helps answer the that's question. That's great. I'm from Ireland, so we know a lot about white-collar crime. So it's much appreciated what you're doing. So thanks very <laughs> yeah, much. Man. Sorry for interrupting you. No, no. Thanks, John. I appreciate right. it. Um, Sweet. All right. I'm going to move over to another question from Wyatt because I'm starting to hate my own voice here. Um, Wyatt, I just listened to a bit of the hypergraph, uh, hypergraph hour from last week explaining the difference between smart contracts of ETH and state channels of hypergraph. Sounds like state channel solution is quite similar to smart contract solution of IOTA, like oracleization and consensus off chain with a ledger update afterwards on chain. Am I correct? So the only nuance here is that um, unlike IOTA is just in the business of putting data on chain and calling that an Oracle. A real Oracle is something that's able to reason about some internal state and make a decision about it, you know, hopefully correctly. Um, and so that requires incorporating like external data into your, you know, consensus protocol. So what differs from us and IOTA is that we actually perform consensus on the state of your data, on the state of some type of a system, uh, as opposed to just putting it on chain. <clears throat> and thus, you know, in terms of a smart contract, you can put logic associated to it to react to certain state changes. So it acts autonomously. Sweet. Thanks, buddy. Um, all right, let's see here. We got more. We got more. Um, <clears throat> I mean, this one's a tough one, but I'll, I'll, why, I'd love to know your thoughts. Is DAG interested in building DAOs with the help of the DOD, which can aid resistance groups in Iran, for instance? Facebook already helped these resistant groups organize, imagine, and secure uh, DOA and bring to the table um you know i don't know if that's even a question i don't know how to answer that do you have anything to say on that one Wyatt? no i i, I actually do i think it's kind of interesting um so like in terms of a dao um the, the original implementation of a dao was like ruled illegal and like you know just at least the way in which it handled funds so i think that anything similar to this in the future would be a little bit different um in, in several ways. So I, I hesitate to call it a, a DAO because it's not an object. It's like, uh, you know, an autonomous protocol. Call it a DAP. <laughs> but um, now this isn't necessarily, this isn't what we would be, I really don't think we're, we're doing that with the DOD or unfortunately, I don't know if, you know, Iran specifically is my fight, but um, I do think that in general, um, this type of technology is going to free, uh, basically provide a security for everyone, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, intelligence agency, you know, these governments in Iran, these uh, whomever's running them themselves, but also the individual citizens um, in order to, you know, kind of activate and enable them to, you know, have um, control over their interactions with uh, society and the infrastructure around them, um, either through encryption or, you know, secure communications. Um, so, you know, I could get into that in a little bit. Uh, I would say, though, that a <clears throat> there is a sort of something similar to ZK Snarks um, that I've been cooking up for uh, one of our two uh, state channels we're launching next year, uh, STAR, which is going to be our governance one. And so, you know, if you follow the development on that, I think you'll see 
what I mean um, in terms of self-orchestration of, you know, actors, node operators, uh, and sort of the, I guess you could say, um, autonomy of, you know, a decentralized network. Sweet. All right, this one looks like it's for me. Since uh, Konami is approaching the space industry through Seraphim Capital, will the partnership with Constellation also include joint efforts and shared opportunities for the space industry besides the efforts of the DoD? And the answer is a resounding yes, yes, yes. We are with Konami, and we're going after joint opportunities both in the commercial and federal space. Naturally, we are trending faster in federal because we both have been um, flagged as very promising distributed technologies to help with that end-to-end secure data transportation from creation to storage. And that's very meaningful, um, thinking about the security of data that could be sitting on a thumb drive that could be top secret. They want to know who touched it, when they touched it, and so forth. And as I said, my announcement of Space ISAC, we don't handle storage. And that's why you're going to see strategic partnerships in our ecosystem that handle different pieces of the business that we just don't touch. Um, But that said, we're a crucial mission critical capability. Let that sink in. We're mission critical, meaning that a lot of these different projects and solutions, in order for them to go into production, they have to hit a certain level of security that they can only get at scale using a solution like Constellation. Uh, I'm sure they could cobble a bunch of, you know, legacy solutions together, but uh, nothing quite like a distributed network like Hypergraph. And that's why those folks in the federal space are continually bringing us into new opportunities. That said, um, the tax regulation thing uh, that I keep talking about, that's something that we're working on with Konami. And we'll talk more about what that looks like in practice. And I touched on that a little bit on the space ISAC announcement from the um, the uh, retail uh, taxes piece. So if you don't remember that, go back and check it out. But yes, we're doing a lot with these folks uh, in both in both in the commercial and federal space. So that answers that uh, question is, does the Constellation team believe the recent ruling by the CFTC does not apply to Lattice or that they can circumvent that unlike Coinbase who had to shut down its futures. And so for those that don't know, the CFTC is the Commodity Futures Trading Commission. Um, This might be a better question for the next happy hour with uh, Ben and and Matias, but um, I will say from my perspective, and I want to be very candid, that I am more focused on Constellation uh, projects right now than I am Lattice. I'm supporting that effort, but I'm, you know, I'm a Constellation focused right now. Um, And I was very cautious of us going into this as a company because I wanted to make sure we were doing it the right way. And that's exactly how Ben and Matias have conducted the entire thing, buttoned up, clean, and the right way of going about it. We're a high integrity and a transparent team. And so if there is anything that has incongruencies, we will work hard to fix those and do it the right way. So we are not a shady project, but I don't know why, if you have any opinions on this that you want, <laughs> you want to share, if we should punt this one to next week. Um. So honestly, I was kind of trailed off. What was the, the question again? I was, does the Constellation team believe the recent ruling by the CFTC uh, does not apply to Lattice or that they need to circumvent that, unlike Coinbase, who had to shut it down its futures platform? Um, probably well, should well, move this one to next Yeah, yeah let's move to next week. I just need to read what it actually is. Yeah, that's the Commodity Futures yeah. Trading Commission made, in, and you may not be up to speed on the, the recent ruling, but um, we all have strong opinions, but we'll keep those opinions uh, to the side and focus on Constellation technology here. So I know that we only have about eight minutes left. Um, I think that I've actually gotten through the majority of the questions that I had written down. Um and so Elise uh, might be good to open it up if anybody wants to ask any questions but before we adjourn or slap them into chat, we'd be more than happy to, to answer those. Yeah, is there anybody else that wants to come on and do have any comments or any more questions that we didn't address? If you don't have anything, we can say in the chat, Headroom just said, Wyatt, what is your dream use cases to build on Hypergraph? Oh, we got to go into his dreams. This can be terrifying for all of us. (laughs) So Wyatt, do you know, do you get that question? No, I I, I, didn't. 
dream yeah. use case to build on hypergraph no um so this this is actually a project that's been floating around and is uh maybe i'll drop a little easter egg for next year um so you know one of the uh really big huge you know accomplishments uh of this paper that's coming out um is that i was able to create uh at least the foundations for a programming language similar to like you know solidity um but for state channels you know something that could act like a dsl um or even like a rich language um you know for for microservices uh that incorporates some type of a security protocol um as like a you know native operation and so um what's really cool about that is that in the process of finding out you know how to sort of create uh you know what you'll see is a global interpreter uh, similar to how ethereum wanted to be the you know global computer this would be like an interpreter for you know any you know, decentralized system of microservices um, such that, you know, users can input operations or a query and then the output can be spit back. This leads us to, you know, the question, what are we doing about machine data? You know, how do we actually understand the global situational awareness of our physical infrastructure? We're very concerned about hypertext data and what serves up the internet. But in general, like what log and sort of fidelity do we have to the actual, you know, bare metal that's serving up our reality? And so this kind of leads into, um, you know, this project that I'm, I'm sort of spearheading. It's my baby called Reality. And it's meant to be something uh, like, you know, a general, you know, search tool, uh, but for machine data, uh, you know, across the entire Internet and any subnet that connects Um, so, you know, I think the TLDR here is that, uh, from product standpoint, the goal is to provide something like, like a Google for individuals who are concerned about the physical state uh, of some type of the system, you know, whether it's their server infrastructure, whether it's some fleet of aircrafts, um, this is a way in which you can interact with that and, you know, actually communicate with the system in order to understand, um, its state. Um, and so, you know, the real, the real sort of, aha uh-huh, here is that um, I want to create a global context for like a reality um, that all, you know, people hopefully will, will share, you know, uh, basically like a giant knowledge graph of events that are notarized um, events that are processed through all of our interconnected infrastructure. And we can use that in order to, you know, come to consensus on the state of, you know, a reality. Um, that's kind of what the whole thing really was, was kind of meant to be from my, moonshot idea so you know what do you believe you know it's awesome buddy um heck yeah i I found one more question here um is microsoft azure orbital a target for constellation satellite so those that don't know what azure orbital is it's a satellite ground station and scheduling service connected to azure for fast downlinking of data Mm -hmm. i mean so yeah i mean of course like you know our goal is to be a um, uh, an application solution, much like theirs, that's easily deployable. So like, Hey, great. You want that downlinking of data? Great. Do you want to ensure that it's notarized and secure? Then you're going to want to deploy our application on top of it or our solution on top of it. Um, but we would probably integrate with them anyway. So any of these deployment tools, you're going to see us getting in line with in the best way possible. Um, all right, we got four more minutes. I'm going to ask uh, one more for why, which I, I think it's a great question. Can you tell us how scalable DAG is right now and if state channel state channels increase this? Yeah, 100%. So um, right now, you know, everything was built in sort of like the first order approximation for how, you know, we can actually get, you know, all of the different nodes within the hypergraph network to cooperate together. Um, you know, and one of the benefits of that being scalability. And so that's at the, the actual sort of full nth order solution uh, is, you know, inside of a project called Tessellation uh, that's on our GitHub page. So um, that's actually the core project I've been working on for about six months. And so everybody's starting to work on that now, too. Um, and that is how we're building our interface to state channels. Um, and so one of the demos that I'll spoil is to, you know, demonstrate uh, our ability to stream consensus um, you know, using just like a buffered stream uh, into multiple consensus processes happening at the same time. 
And so we'll be able to show, uh, you know, based upon the amount of resources that a certain node or server has and the configuration of parallelism that's set that, you know, the more processes that are, you know, it's possible to have on a certain node and thus to increase the parallelism factor of, you know, actually performing consensus on, on data. So um, the real sort of aha here is to create this function for the amount of resources that a node has or that, you know, the collection of nodes have. Um, and then to, you know, find an upper bound um, on the number of processes and thus the number of transactions that can, can happen for the total, uh, you know, cluster. Um, and so this is what, what's really beautiful about this is that, you know, we can already see right now just in what we're building that it's configurable. So like if you want your network to be faster, you can just get a bigger server or more nodes um, in order to increase the number of these processes that are happening. Um, and it's, it's really magical because we are able to decouple the convergence of the network from the actual, you know, L1 consensus process into what we call base layer zero. Um, and you'll, you'll hear me say that a lot more in the future. Um, base layer zero is meant to be like the base layer of base layers uh, that actually provides a context for cross-chain liquidity. Sweet. All right. So we're going to wrap up. There's some questions around token price and there's questions around liquidity and exchanges, all things that I would like you guys to ask next week with uh, Ben and Matthias um, to remind everyone this is focused on hypergraph, the technology and the business side of things. Um, so just uh, punting those off a little bit, but uh, appreciate everybody joining the call. Um, I'm not sure if uh, Elise, you want to say anything to, to take us home. Take me out to the ball game, and we shot, we scored, we hit home runs, and we will continue to do it again and again every single week. So I've answered tons of questions in private messaging. Everybody seems very excited. There's a lot more questions coming in. I wanted to tell everybody happy holidays, whatever you celebrate. Please celebrate it safe and with the ones that you love. And remember that gratitude and kindness gets us very far in life. And then also um, I'll be talking with Stardust Collective, but I think Constellation and Lattice and Stardust is taking off two weeks possibly. Um, I will make a professional announcement in our communities, but it was mentioned several people would like to take off for the holiday. So we may reconvene the first of the year. We look forward to that. Um, I dropped the photograph so everybody can have a really great postcard to send their grandmas. <laughs> I'm my grandmother is really glad that she's not around anymore. So she doesn't get that. <laughs> so you guys all have a wonderful, wonderful time. Thank you. Stardust for everything. And uh, we'll see you guys in, I believe two weeks. So thank you. Thanks Elise. You're a rock star. Everybody have a wonderful uh, rest of your day and we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Thanks guys. Bye -bye.